Amen. Well, as you make your way back to your seats, <clears throat> once again, I'd say thank you for being here. And man, what a, what a great morning. I, um, my prayer coming into this moment, as I shared with our, our prayer group, which, by the way, every morning, every Sunday morning at 9 a.m., we come together for 30 minutes and pray over what's happening in this room today. If you want to be a part of that, you're more than welcome to. It's open to the church. We would love to see you there. But one of the things I was talking about was this expectation of what we need God to do, what we desire God to do in our lives. And today my prayer is that when you leave our time together today, that you just don't simply mark something off of your list to do. Because that's just, just a religious check mark. Our goal is to see you grow. See, because what we believe here is God's called us to do three things in this house. It's love deeply, grow daily, and live fully. So every time you hear a message, everything you hear from this is going to fit under one of those banners. But this summer, we're in a summer series that is really uh, probably a, I don't want to say it's a deeper walk because Scripture's always deep, but it's a more discipleship-oriented for believers. And what I want to let you understand, or help you understand, is that God is doing something. And we can either choose to sit back and not be engaged, or we can decide that we've been disengaged and un... What's the right word? I, I, I guess the, the old school biblical word would be uh, attached to the things of the world so much, unequally yoked, that was the word I was looking for, is we can either be that or we can decide, let's be the people God created us to be. Because if there's ever been a moment in the history of this world, it's now that we need to be the body of Christ. And you know what, I'm gonna tell you this, that diverse, the diversity in this room is what gives us the strength outside of God. God takes the diversity of this body and he uses it to build the kingdom. So let me just tell you this really quickly. God has never said that everybody's gotta agree on everything, but he did say that we need to walk in unity. Isn't that kind of crazy? You're like going, well, how do we do that if we don't agree? Because what we do agree on is we believe that Jesus is who he said he is. We believe that our life is centered around what he teaches us and what he walked us through and the Bible that he's given us to carry us through life. So today as we get ready to start, I just want to let you know that today we're talking about some principles that are so vitally important. So... Wednesday night, uh, we were talking about the, uh, the presence of God. We were talking about the fear of God. And one of the things that we had, I had Grant Ross come up and, and we shared some stories about miracles. And one of the things I was praying about, I said, God, you know, I've seen multiple miracles throughout my life. To the point that when people say, well, I'm not sure miracles are, they, they say, well, the, the Bible says that these things stopped and all this stuff. I'm like, well, man, don't even go there. Because I've seen with my own eyes you, that you can't tell me. You know what I mean? So here's what I want to tell you is in response to that, we had that moment where we talked about those things. When I got home, I can't, Tawana, what night was that, that I went and saw the neighbor? I can't even remember, it was this week, <laughs> at Thursday. And this was after me praying, said, God, we need new stories of miracles. And so I'm not going to tell you the whole story because this incredible miracle that God did, I'm having the gentleman that God healed a creative miracle is going to be here to share with you what that miracle is. I'm still teaching. He's going to come in for about 10 minutes and just simply tell you straight up 
from Church of Christ backgrounds to Baptist background to non-spirit-filled background, all that stuff, that God went beyond all that stuff and did a miracle. I want you to hear about it from his mouth. So be here. Uh, Wednesday night, 6.30 p.m. Let me say it like this. I said, talk with expectation. I expect you to be there. Amen. I like that, right? Okay, all right. So anyway, so what I want to do tonight or today is Wednesday night we talked about the fear of God and how that really means awed reverence of God. And the problem in our culture is that we have lost respect. We've lost reverence. We are, uh, what would the right word be? We are flippant with our faith. We're flippant with scripture. It's like, well, this scripture works here and it works here, but let's disregard this one and this one because it doesn't fit how I see the world. You know, it's like, it's all these different pictures that we see. And you walk into the house. I, I, I use as an example, before I read the scripture, I use as an example one of the things that always impressed me about Grant Ross McGregor. And I only use him because you've all seen him up here, so it's a, it's a good point of reference. Is Grant Ross has been a part, his family's been a part of our family for uh, most of his life. But I, one of the things that always stuck out to me about him and his family was the respect that they offered in every situation. To this day, a man in his 50s, no, I'm kidding, <laughs> he's like, no, no. a grown man, let's say that, and he still honors. It's still, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. It's a lost art today. But it's respect, and we've lived in a culture that's kind of lost those things, and those things carry over into the house of God because it's cultural. So as I was talking about that, I I began to really dig a little deeper and said, okay, God, so you're taking us to that place. If we're going to experience God, how do we do that? And number one was understand that we have to be in awe and in reverence of a holy God. God's not your, simply your buddy. He's the creator of the universe. He's God. So don't try to pull God to your level to match your life. No, no, no. You're trying to bring your life up to the level he's called us to, right? And I said, well, that's harder. I know. Isn't that crazy how that is? But the truth is, if you think you're pulling God down to your level, then you're just lying to yourself because it's not possible. So when I look at this, I thought, okay, so we have to understand that. Then God... How do we experience your glory? How do we experience your presence? How many people, irregardless of what you feel like it looks like, how many of you in this room or that are watching online, you can comment below, how many of you long for just being in the presence of God? And if you've never been in the presence of God, to feel that, to know, what would that be like? Anybody just to show a hand? I mean, let me tell you, there's nothing like it. And there are sometimes we wonder why that we don't experience the presence of God in our lives, in our churches. And and today I'm going to talk from a corporate level. Now it's funny, I'm talking about the presence of God when we just came out of a worship service that was incredibly powerful and his presence was here. The problem is some people never stepped in. And that's okay if you're testing waters, you know, if you're trying to say, I'm just, I get it, but I want to encourage you. His presence is not about church membership. His presence is not about what denomination you call yourself to. No, it it has nothing to do with those things. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. His presence is for those that seek his face. And I'm his kid, just like you are. If you've received Christ, you're his kid too. And I want to be in the Father's presence. So what I wanted to do was talking about, talk about God's glory just for a few minutes. Uh, we've already had an incredible service. Uh, Grant Ross, as always, has given you more scripture in worship service than I give in a message. Thanks, D. But the truth is there's something really powerful in what I want to share with you because when we talk about God's glory, we, we read about it a lot in the Old Testament. 
And uh, in the Old Testament, the, the early writers, the Jewish rabbis, all those, and I'm not going to go into all the history just for sake of time, but they came up with a word that's not really a biblical word, but it is a Hebrew word that described God's glory. It's called Shekinah. And what that means is the manifest presence of God. How many of you long in the middle of your situations, and this is just gut level honesty, you know me, I don't, I don't mince words on these things, I try not to, but I've been in situations in my life where I knew I longed for God to show up and do something, and God didn't. Anybody? Can anybody be honest this morning, right? And you're, you're just longing for something, or you've come in and you needed God to touch you. You're having a difficult place, and you walked out the same as you came in. Why is that? How does that happen to us? Because the truth is, is I don't think there's anybody in this room that doesn't want to be changed, doesn't want to be better, doesn't want to have an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. I mean, we could paint that. You can't paint that bad. That is an amazing thing, and I think we all want that. But here's what I think we miss, because we live in a culture where everything is supposed to be easy. Easy love. You know, it's like we love, we love, oh, they're, they're, they're attractive. We, we base attractiveness and say attractiveness is love, right? Well, what happens when attractiveness goes away, right? I mean, Chanel still loves Trey. <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally, we look at these things, and and you know, I don't know how about you, but I'm you know, I'm almost 54, and uh, I can promise you that if you look at pictures of me in my early 20s, I don't look the same. I had about 400 pounds more of hair, but the truth is, I looked a lot different. When Tuana fell in love with me, I looked a lot different. But yet today. It's not, we understand that she just doesn't love me because she finds me attractive. She loves me because it's more than that. So what I want you to understand is sometimes in this culture, we have dumbed down how we see God. And I want to help you to understand that there are principles for you to experience the glory of God in your life. And I'm going to tell you something. We live in a time, and I'm going to say this, and I'm going to stay away from this for the rest of the sermon but because of time. But I want you to understand, we live in a time that if you're not walking in the glory of God, the battles that you are facing are going to be so challenging. Because in your flesh, you can't win. I mean, the evil in this world grows greater and greater and greater every day. But what we know as believers, it can grow as great as it wants to because we know the end of the story. We know who's really in control and we know these things, but we have to walk in his glory in order to get there. So let me, let me say this and I'll get to the scripture. Is Stop thinking that you are some awesome, amazing gift of God to the world. Have you ever met that person? They just think they got, got, I mean, it's like Father, Son, Holy Spirit, them. Right? I tell them all the time, it's not how it works. It's Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Miss Tawana. That's another thing. But the reality is, is a lot of people, we get on this spiritual high horse and we put on this fake persona that we're powerful men and women of God, but we're not walking in the glory of God. So what I want to encourage you today is to humble yourself and say, God, help me understand. Help me walk in your presence. Help me be a carrier of your glory in all that I do and all that I say. So in saying that, let's open our Bibles. And as you open your Bibles uh, together, we like to stand together in honor of the word. So if you'd stand to your feet, we're going to open our Bibles to 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 4, and I'm going to read 11 verses. So let's get right on top of this because it's a lot of verses. Chapter 4 in 1 Samuel, starting in verse 1. Now Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. 
and encamped beside Ebenezer, and the Philistines encamped in Aphek. Then the Philistines put themselves in battle array against Israel. And when they joined battle, Israel was defeated by the Philistines, who killed about 4,000 men of the army in the field. And when the people, I want you to remember this part, and when the people had come into the camp, the elders of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? So they had a genius idea. Now that we've been defeated, let us bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh to us. That when it comes among us, it may save us from the hand of our enemies. So the people went to, sent to Shiloh that they might bring from there the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, who dwells between the cherubim. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. These were two corrupt priests. They were living in adultery. They would sleep with the women that came to the temple, and they would steal from the house of God. So I want to I may give you that backstory so that you understand that there were some issues going on. So let's keep reading. And when the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted so loudly that the earth shook. Now when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What does this sound of, the great, of this great shout in the camp of the Hebrews mean? Then they understood that the Ark of the Lord had come into the camp. So the Philistines were afraid. For they said, God has come into the camp. And they said, woe to us, for such a thing has never happened before. I found that very interesting, being that the Philistines thought fault with the Israelites continually. Hmm. Woe to us who deliver us from the hand of these mighty gods. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and conduct yourselves like men, you Philistines, that you do not become servants of the Hebrews as they have been to you. Conduct yourselves like men and fight. So the Philistines fought, and Israel was defeated. Israel, I want to say it again, Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. There was a very great slaughter, and there fell of Israel 30,000 foot soldiers. Also, the ark of the Lord, the ark of God, was captured, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, died. Let's pray. Father, for the next few moments, moments, I pray you would speak in this house. That God, you'd take this word, this story that brings us principles that we can use in our lives. That God, it would take root in each of our hearts. And that God, it would bring back a harvest of good inside of each one of us. And I pray as always, God, that when we finish our time together today and we go about the life and the week that you've placed before us, I pray, God, that we will leave this house changed in Jesus' name. We honor your word and we honor you. We are in awe of the God that you are, the one God, the only God. Thank you, Father. And it's in his name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated just for a moment. I want to break this down very quickly for you. And uh, just for sake of time, I'm going to move relatively quickly, and I feel like I can make this happen. We will see. So the first thing I want you to understand is why are we reading about this Ark of the Covenant? Because the Ark of the Covenant in the Bible, in the Old Testament, pre-Jesus, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God. Wherever the Ark was the presence of God followed. There were a lot of things that went along with this. There were a lot of, uh, of things that God said, this is how I want you to do these things. And it's really important to understand because when we desire the presence of God, but we do things wrong, sometimes we wonder, well, why didn't God intervene in my life? Why didn't he intervene in my situation? And yet you were doing it completely wrong. See, what I want to help you to understand is though we serve a new covenant Savior, but God gave us the Old Testament, and Jesus says, I have come to complete, not do away with the law. 
So what I want you to understand in this is that people say, well, this doesn't count anymore. No, no, no. We need to learn from this passage and say, this is the character of God. This is what God wants us to see because principles work. And here's what I want to show you in this. So the Ark of the Covenant represents the presence of God. I find it really interesting that Israel is doing their thing. And if you read the first part of 1 Samuel, what you'll find is it's telling the story of Samuel becoming priest and all these things. And Eli was the main dude at that time. He was the head priest and judge. And, and then, so you start moving through the cycle where Eli had kind of let a lot of things slide because he loved his kids. And because in those days, if you were born into uh, the priestly, uh, priestly family, that meant that was what you're going to do too. So his two sons who were sinning against God and God was angry with them because they brought disrepute to God and they made serving God and sacrificing to him a burden. They made it very burdensome is what scripture says. So Samuel gave his first word that God had given him to Eli and it was a prophetic word about the destruction of Eli and his sons and the curse on his family. So you're going, wow, this is going to be an encouraging, uplifting, positive message today. But what I want you to see that's so important that if we're going to experience God's glory, we need to be able to pick out some of these pieces so that we can understand what this looks like for us. How do we, as a body of Christ, make sure that when people come into this house, come into this property, turn that road on the bend and see this church, these church buildings up at the, at the top of the hill, when they see that, they just don't see these beautiful buildings. That's not what they see. They see the glory of God. That when they walk into these buildings, that the anointing is so strong, it doesn't matter what song was sung. It doesn't matter how many people are in the room. It doesn't matter who's preaching. It doesn't matter any of those things. But when they walk in, the anointing and presence of God is so strong that people are already being set free, saved, healed, restored, all those things. How do we do that? Because how many of you would say, that's a pretty important thing, Pastor? Of course it is. So how do we get there? Well, here I'm going to start with this first key thought so I can start rolling. So first key thought is this. The presence of God is not an optional benefit to use when circumstances in your life aren't favorable. What? I thought that's what God wanted to do. No, no, no. He wants to. But it's not something that you just pull out of your pocket when things are bad. In other words, you've got to serve God all the time. You've got to follow him all the time. Now, I want to make sure you understand, grace is very powerful. But if we start living, trying to live our lives and say, well, by grace, it doesn't matter what I do. And then by grace, God's going to come rescue me. You're abusing, this is what Paul said, that you abuse the grace that's been given to us. Don't do that. With all of our hearts, with all of our lives, we do our very best to live by the things that Jesus showed us and the Bible presents to us. So I want you to know that the presence of God is not an optional benefit to use when circumstances in life aren't favorable. Let's look back at the Israelites. They're in battle. They were always in conflict with the Philistines. Let me ask you a question. Is there an area of your life, an enemy in your life, a temptation, a struggle? Maybe it's a person. Maybe it's a corporation. Maybe it's, uh, maybe it's a, an addiction. Maybe it's just some challenges but it's something that, has, that you fight with a lot. I think every one of us, if we're being honest, would say, yeah, I kind of get that picture. What I want to encourage you in in this moment is for you to recognize that when things are going bad, we just can't whip out the presence of God. The presence of God is something that's cultivated because he's holy and he's God. So you say, well, pastor, what are you talking about? Okay, so the Israelites went to battle. Now, the first problem was that we see that the temple, because of the people in the temple, and here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the, the priestly body as the church. Why do I want you to see it through those eyes? Because the Bible goes on to tell us in the New Testament with the new covenant that now we're all priests. We're all of the royal priesthood. That's what Timothy tells us. 
And it goes on in Revelation as well. But what I want you to understand is now we're all priests. So what I want you to grab a hold of is one of the issues that we run into is the same issue that they ran into. They prostituted the house of God and then wanted God to show up and defeat their issue. There was no repentance. There was a lot of excitement, but it wasn't so much excitement about God. It was excitement about God's going to do what we want him to do. So what God shows us through this picture, through this story, is simply this is that God's not going to bless your bad behavior by giving you victory when you're not repentant and you're not following him with your whole heart. Does that make sense? And remember, I'm ta- this, is, this is a little more strong. So some of y'all, like my dad used to say all the time, you know, uh, when he did, we did separate services, he did the classic service, I did the modern service. I don't even really know what that means. But anyway, that's what we did. And we had these little cards and little cards I made for him. And uh, on one side, it had, you know, it had the service and had the one I was doing. And you flip it around, it said the classic service. And it had his picture on it. And, and uh, of course, it uh, had his picture on it. And he would take that thing. And every time he'd meet somebody, he'd hand him this card and said, you need to come to church. And they'd say, oh, okay, that's awesome. And I said, now, now look, here's what I'm going to tell you. He'd take that card and he'd show him my side. And he says, if you like coffee with cream and sugar. You come to Clay's service. If you want it strong and black, you come to the classic service. I remember thinking, what? Dad, you don't even like strong coffee. You know, I'm like, I'm no, anyway. But it's true when when we look at this, what I want you to grab a hold of in this moment is sometimes we need strong words. Because we can look at the Israelites and go, they were so stubborn. Have you looked at yourself? Have you looked at the compromise in your own life? Yeah, it looks a little different because times have changed. Everything in the world shifted. But how dare we refuse to look at ourselves and look down on God's chosen people in that moment and not hold ourselves to the same standard? So we see the picture. There's all this mess going on. There's all this distortion, all this sin that's in the camp, so to speak. And then they call on God after they've been defeated. So they bring the presence of God to where they are. And they still lose. And not only that, the Ark of the Covenant is captured. I mean, they don't just lose the battle They lose the presence of God. Do you understand the depth of that? Because remember, that represented the very presence of God. Dude, you want to talk about a defeat. I mean, it was so bad that when one of the runners went back to tell Eli what happened, Eli, because he was old, the Bible says he's old and heavy. I ain't going to go there. But he was so shocked because both of his sons died, like was prophesied. The prophecy just kept going. He falls off of his chair and breaks his neck and dies. And it goes on. All this stuff is going on in this moment. And it all revolves around the misuse and the misunderstanding of how to walk in the presence of God. Of how to understand that. So the one thing I want you to understand is that in this story, they would seem to have only wanted God when their plans had failed. God shouldn't be our second choice. He should be our first choice. We should want him more than anything. And the other thing is this. You cannot manipulate the power of God. Now, I'll say this, and I'll say it quickly, is uh, I grew up in church. Any of y'all grown up in church? I I grew up in church, and and I grew up, you know, y'all grew up in church. I grew up in real church. (laughs) Y'all know what I'm talking about. I mean, my dad, he was on the edge you know, he, he took pride when they'd say, well, you know, at, at Pastor Paul's church, they swing from the chandeliers. I always find that interesting because we never had chandeliers. But anyway, that's okay. But he, he loved those moments. I mean, we had, it, was, it was an experience, and I, I'm thankful for it. But I also look back, and, and I remember that there are there were phrases that I noticed all through my life. It's like, man, when somebody would use this phrase, people got excited. I'm going to tell you right now, as your pastor, and I've pastored you long enough 
to tell you that I could stand up here and I know what I need to say to get you on your feet, jumping and shouting and all that. I could. As a matter of fact, not a few years ago, we were still at our other campus and, and uh, we had a staff meeting and we had a quite a large staff at the time. And, and so I went into that staff meeting and it was a normal day, you know, everybody goes to staff meeting. Nobody likes, nobody likes to go to staff meeting. And uh, so I went in and I made up my mind I was going to prove a point. And I went to that staff meeting, and I just was so excited and on fire. I was just, man, it's going to be great. Here's what's going to happen. And I started just going to all this stuff, and I started saying the right words. And all of a sudden, the staff's going, yeah, pastor, that's right. Praise God. And they're just going on. And I said, now, see what I just did? And they go, huh? I said, I just manipulated you. How do we think we can manipulate the presence of God? Do you see what I'm saying? So you say, well, what what does that mean? We need to do it right. We need to make sure that we're living the life and that this house is representative of a place where God says, this is my house. My house will be called, Jesus said, my house shall be called a house of prayer. It should be a place where the presence of God lives. Now, we also know this, that as the royal priesthood, each one of us, when we leave this place, that presence of God can now go with us. It doesn't just have to rest in one place. But when we see this, I want to make sure you understand how important it was. This ark, the presence of God, led the Israelites from victory to victory. But yet now we find ourselves in a more difficult place. Because here's the thing. This is the battle that the church fights today. And this is the battle that you fight today. We've got to separate ourselves from the idea that God will bless us despite our disobedience. I I certainly believe that the reason the United States of America is fighting some of the battles that it's fighting right now is because a lot of us in the house of God expected God to still keep blessing America like he always has when we've gotten more and more and more disobedient. And we've gotten further and further and further away from his word. So what I want you to see is it's not hard to figure out why you're distant from God when you really get honest. We've tried to make faith in Christianity so easy. And the truth is that it's wonderful. I I could not imagine living my life any other way. But the truth is, is that I don't get to make Christianity what I want it. I have to follow what Jesus says. I have to follow what the Word of God says and say, this is who we are. So he gives us these principles. So if we bring God into the picture while we're in disobedience, can I just tell you, he'll let you fail. We've seen that. We saw that right here in this, in this story. So let me give you another key thought. I've only got one more after this. Is, so the other key thought is the presence of God is not a weapon to be directed by your desire. But it's the glory of God to lead you into his plan. You so often have heard it said like this, is that too many times we want God to bless our plan when what we really need to be doing is following his plan because it's already blessed. And what we end up doing with our lives is we say this, we, we want to fight a battle and we want to use God as the weapon. I'm here to tell you something, that's not how this works. In other words, the Israelites misused the presence and he goes even further than this. Let's, let's take it from this. So further in the story, I'm not going to read all the scripture because I'm almost out of time, but here's what I want you to see. You go further in this story. Because I remember, you remember they captured the Ark of the Covenant, right? They captured the presence of God. Now, you people that are already bored with me, you're fixing to get a little less bored. So they take him in and they worship other gods, Dagon being one of them. And they bring the Ark of the Covenant, the presence of God, into this place. And it's really interesting because all kinds of havoc starts. I won't even go into some of the other stuff that happened, but let me just hit on one. Is that they brought the Ark of the Covenant... And they started finding plagues. They were like happy. Let's bring this another God. They weren't, they weren't restrictive in that. They, they have as many gods as they wanted. So they put God in with all their other false gods. And then all kinds of crazy stuff started happening. As a matter of fact, uh, Wednesday night, one of the trivia questions, I shared some trivia questions. And one of the questions was, what happened in this passage when the people that stole the Ark of the Covenant, all this stuff. And one of the plagues that they had was the NIV, which is the one that 
that you actually answered out of, and somebody else answered out of King James. I wonder which one's more holy. But anyway, okay. Um, <laughs> in the NIV, it calls it tumors. But the King James Version goes real descriptive. Hemorrhoids. Can you believe that? That's in the Bible. Is God struck them with a plague of hemorrhoids and rats. So all of these things, you're going, man, what are you talking about, pastor? It's a fascinating story. But why did the bad come on them? Because they misused the presence of God. May we come into our houses of worship. May we come into the time when the one or more are gathered together and we come in with awed reverence saying, God, we don't want to misuse you. We don't want to misrepresent you. We want to be the people you've called us to be. We want to be able to stand up for justice. We want to be able to stand up for what's right and wrong. But we recognize if we don't get this right, nothing else will be right. So we have to come to that place where we recognize, God, I don't want to use you as a weapon. I want to lead people to the glory of God. And the glory of God, his presence will heal. His presence is what's going to change people, not me. I just want to be a vessel that's doing it the way God's called me to do it. I just want to be that person. And I know you do too. But we as a body have to get there. So they misuse it. And I think the answer, I think the point that I would make in this is you can't hijack somebody else's spirituality. No, you've got to serve God on your own. That's why we call this relationship with Jesus a personal relationship. So we need to serve him at that place and stop saying, yeah, you know, I'm just going to get close to somebody who's really on it spiritually or somebody that's really anointed or somebody that's got a real prayer life. No, you need to get your own prayer life. You need to walk in anointing. You need to be around those people, but realize you have your own responsibility to be who God needs you to be. So the presence of God is not a weapon to be directed by your desire, but it's the glory of God to lead you into his plan. Let me share one more with you. The presence of God only comes when you're walking in alignment to his word. The presence of God, the healing in your life, all those things. First of all, let me tell you. I don't believe that God heals because he has favorites. I believe God heals because it's a testimony of God's greatness. So I think sometimes the people that you see major healings, it's like you're going, wow, if God heals that dude, if God heals her, if God does that, then ain't nobody can take credit for that. That's only God. You know, we declare these things over, over our loved ones, but it's also that place where we recognize if we want to see God show up and do miracles in our lives, if we want to be in his presence, then we need to be walking in alignment to his word. The last part of this story is very interesting because after this moment, you know, the, the story says the Philistines were like, man, get this thing out of here. Y'all come get the presence of God. We don't need it here. He's mad at us, you know, and they were right. So they, they, they put the ark on a, a new cart, and they got some animals, to cows, to carry it out of town. And, and it, it got all the way back into the country. It's a longer story. But it got in there, and they broke it down, got it over there. And, you know, it sat there until David became the king. <clears throat> and you got to realize that they didn't have a king yet. Saul was their first king. That's coming next. So the presence of God was out on the fringes of the nation. So what I want to do and what I believe God's trying to do in this time is he's trying to take his presence from out off the fringes and bring it into the body. That's what we need and that's what we desire. But it sat there for all that time. And there's a lot of stuff that goes with that. But then we go into 2 Samuel, and we see the story where now David is like, we need the presence of God here. We need the presence of God at the temple. We need the presence of God here. So he goes and gets it. And here's the mistake that David makes. And here's what I think sometimes we make the mistake. David took his social cues, so to speak, from the wrong place. David was trained in the things of God. He knew what was right. He was the king, trust me. He would have been very, very much coached and told, here's how things work. But he took his social cues and he went and did exactly what the Philistines did pretty much and went and got a new cart, 
put the Ark of the Covenant on the new cart, and they started taking it back. Boy, they did it. He, he dressed it up, right? There were thousands of people that were dancing and praying and praising and all this stuff all along the way. Then something happened. There was trouble on the road. The Bible says that the ark hit a bad place in the road and started to tip over, and Uzzah reached out to settle it. And when he did, God struck Uzzah dead. And it upset David. Can you imagine? And then David realized what had happened. You see, God has a way of us walking into his presence. And we don't take our social cues from the world. We don't take our social cues from, social cues from other religions. We don't take our social cues from anywhere but the word of God that says, here is what I expect of you. Jesus says, this is what I need from you. And when you give me this, I'm going to give you all of this. It's so simple. But when we come to it, it's a fascinating story as we read these because David tried to move the ark in a way that was contrary to his word. I'm not going to go through all of that stuff because there was a whole group within, there was a segment within the priestly order that were supposed to do this and carry it on, the, on their shoulders. And that's not what he did. It seemed good. It seemed like a good idea, but he was following his cues from somewhere else. In other words... If we take this to our time, as I get ready to wrap, we pray for God to reveal his glory to us, but we want him to reveal his glory to us in a way that we dictate. I want you to just think how foolish that is, just for a moment. You see where I said at the beginning of this talk that I was telling you that at the beginning, too many times, we want to bring God to our level instead of us rising toward him. Now, obviously, we're never going to get there. But too many times we're wanting to bring him down here. When we say, God, we want your glory in our lives. We want your glory in this house. We want this. We want your presence here. And you say, now, God, here's how it's going to look. I mean, do we see how foolish that is? That's why I tell people all the time when we're praying for a revival, be careful. Because sometimes we're praying for something that God's saying, I know what you think it is. But it's going to look a lot different than what you think it is. And you've got to be okay with that. That's one of the hard things about pastoring. As you're looking at it and you see a move of God, you're saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? How do I do this? How do I handle it? Because my job is to pastor that. Not to rule over it, to pastor it. And when you start coming to that place, you recognize, okay, God, I need to be make sure here's where we are. Here's what's going on. God, speak to us. Walk in us, to us. Help us see what you're trying to do. Because the bottom line is this, God's not asking for your opinion. He has loved you and provided grace through his son, Jesus, for you to walk with him. And I want you to understand, there is a great power that comes with that. We've always heard with great power comes great responsibility. But we live in a time where we want responsibility, or we want power, but we don't want responsibility doesn't happen that way. Hey, kids, let me tell you, when y'all get old enough and you get married and you do everything right and you have a child, you know what? You don't get to choose whether or not your responsibility is the child. That choice has been made. That's done. Now that child is your choice. That is your responsibility, right? So when we understand this as believers and we're wanting to walk in the glory of God, we have, an, we have an op, uh, a responsibility to carry that with us and to understand that there are sacred methods of experiencing the glory of God that have always been there. So I want to share one more scripture and we're going to be done. Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And, and I love this, and most of us know this, so I love it. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they are sitting. Let me just stop right there. Could you imagine this in this room right now? Some of us will be so freaked out and said, I ain't coming back here anymore. I thought, I thought they were kind of on the line, but now I know they're crazy. But yet we read it in the Bible, it's like, wow, are you kidding me? That would be crazy. They filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared, it got crazier. 
Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I'm not speaking on that today, but it's a very powerful thing that we read here. And then what we understand is, what was the thing that was going on in that moment that was so important? What brought the presence of God in that room? Unity. They were in one place, in one accord. See, so what are we supposed to do? See, Wednesday we talked about obedience and reverence brings the presence. And today what I'm telling you is this. When we look at this, when we're moving through it as a corporate body, what we understand is when we come together seeking the presence of God, that's when God moves. So how bad do you want the presence of God in your life? I don't know about you. I'm hungry for it. I want it to be a place where it's not something, oh, look, Jesus showed up. I want it to be a place where Holy Spirit's always here. We walk in the door, he's here. And here we are. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? Father, today, I pray you would speak to each of us. God, I know we've all got challenges and we've all had battles. We've got struggles and all these things. But what we, what we know, Father, without a shadow of a doubt, that it's your presence that changes things. And Father, I pray that in this moment right now, those places of compromise, those places where we have failed, those places where we've allowed this, the world to cue us, that God, we would reject the world's pattern and we would embrace yours so that we could truly walk with you. That we could truly walk knowing that when we pray, we're praying within your glory. We're praying within your presence. So Father, I would ask that you convict each of our hearts. Because we want to be better. We want to be more than we were when we came in. We want to grow in you. So God, I pray you'd work in us in this moment. That God, we wouldn't just try to bring you into our lives only when things are bad. But that we'd bring you into our lives in its entirety. That we give you everything. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, you're here today and you say, Pastor, you know, If I were being honest today, I know there are areas of my life that I've, I've given God a Today, I need to make that choice. I need to make that decision. There's things I need to get right. There are things I know that I need to sell out completely for God. If that's you, I just want you right now to slip your hand up and say, Pastor, remember me today. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up. Thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Just keep them up for a moment. Yes. See the couple there? Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I don't want to make sure I don't miss a person. Yes, ma'am. Yes. You can place your hands back down. I'm going to ask everyone in this room, if you would, would you mind just standing to your feet together? And as we're standing here, I want to say those that you raised your hand and said, man, I need to make some changes. You know when you raise your hand, I'm praying for you. But you've got to make the commitment. You've got to make the choice. So while I'm speaking just for the next minute, I'm going to ask our altar workers and our pastors that are available to make their way to the front to receive people. And here's what I would say. Sometimes to truly break free from the things that are keeping you bound takes a strong step of faith. That's up to you. How bad do you want to let it go? I'm not going to embarrass you because in a moment I'm going to pray.
of this day. So the next question I want to ask is this. I'm going to ask you one more time just to bow your head, close your eyes, right where you are. This is personal business. You say, Pastor, I'm here and I know that I'm not in a right relationship with God. I know there's sin in my life. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to do anything. There's no judgment in this house. But what I'm telling you is that today you felt God convict your heart and you know that there's things that are not right and you need to make a commitment to Christ. Maybe you've never received Jesus before and you say, today I'm making that decision. Or maybe once upon a time when you were a kid or one of those, come on, get past that and realize that you need to make your decision for Jesus today. No matter where you're at, what's going on. Say, I need to come to Jesus. If that's you, you're where you are and you just say, Pastor, that's me. Just, I want you to slip your hand up right where you are. It's personal business. There's nobody sneaking a peek. One, yes, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I don't want to miss any hands on this. Such an important moment. Uh huh. Thank you. Okay, place your hands back down. Now I want everybody to look at me, and we're going to pray a prayer together. It's a simple prayer, and I would ask this for those that have raised their hands that I need Jesus. Here's what I'm going to ask you: Tell somebody about the decision that you're making today. You say, you know, when you remember, say, yeah, it's that day that pastor was extra long-winded that I gave my heart to Jesus. <laughs> but you can say to that person, I gave my heart to the Lord today. I need you to hold me accountable because we need each other. And you say, I don't have anybody. You do now because we're here and we love you and we'll walk with you and we will do everything we can to help you grow. But this is the step of faith for you, is to give yourself to that. And I promise you, your life will never be the same. It's powerful. So what we're going to do as a family, I just want everybody, we're going to pray this prayer. And you can simply repeat this prayer after me and just pray. But I ask you, I keep this prayer simple because I want this to be your heart. That you said, Jesus, I need you. Here's where we start. So let's pray this together as a family all across this room. Dear Jesus, I repent of my sin and I turn away from my past. Today I am forgiven and I'm a new creation. The old is gone. And the new has come. And it's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. And amen. Come on, give the Lord some praise for that. That's the best. The best.